0: Fourth psalm. Appreciate you choosing to be in the Lord's house this morning. It's the Lord's day. It's good when God's people recognize that by being in the Lord's house. I appreciate it. How many of you got some fair food this week? Did you? Was it completely and absolutely unhealthy? Okay, good. I haven't lost any confidence in you then. That'll work. Psalm 4. tonight, Lord willing, we'll be preaching on startling discover, discovery of a common warning of First Corinthians 10. We were in 1 Corinthians 10 on Wednesday and discovered startling discovery of a common heritage, first four verses of that chapter. Uh, it talks about we were all baptized unto Moses under the cloud and in the sea, and we did all eat the same spiritual meat. And it was written to a Gentile church, almost all Gentile church. and It's talking about Jewish history. Taught about that and why that is. Taught you out of Romans chapter 11 and taught you things about our status in Christ what our heritage is. And then tonight, we'll be looking at the discovery of a common warning that's given with that. Then God will next week be in... Acts chapter 20, if you want to study in there, we'll be looking at the pattern of Paul's ministry. I'm excited about that for next Sunday. And uh, Lord has some good stuff for us. And then that evening, when the church became Christian. When the church became Christian. And it's Acts chapter 11. So a lot of good things coming up. A lot of good teaching and uh, from the Bible. So I hope you plan on being a part of all of it. And or every bit of it that you can. And uh, we'll be glad to have you. Uh, This morning at Psalm 4, we'll look in verse 3 in here, and then we're going to be going to several different places in the New Testament as well. But let's just look at verse 3 together. It says, But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. I love verse 4. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your own bed and be still. And you see that word "selah." That—that's, um, of course, the Book of Psalms, a mu- book of music, and that, thats a pause. We're supposed to the application is we're supposed to stop and think about what we just read, what we just heard, verse three. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for Himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto Him, and I want to speak to you on the subject: God's people are to be godly people. God's people are going to be godly people. It would be a simple message, but uh, definitely, as we think about it, I believe the Lord will show us some things in the Scripture that will help us with understanding it and the application of it. God's people are to be godly people, and the Bibles are clear on this. And so, let's pray together. Father, help me uh, to get clearly across what you've given me in study, and and I believe you want your people to have this morning. I would like to do that clearly, and I need your help to do so. Pray you'll bless. May there be people with willing and hearing ears today, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Pretty interesting. I guess to understand the message, we should understand the word godly and what the Bible definition of this would be, what it's like. Um, to Godly is to, to learn from God's holy word, which is the Bible. This, Bible, this, this is God's word. This is not a man-made book. Uh, men were used to pen the Bible, to write it down, but they are not the authors of the Bible. God Himself, the Creator, is the author of what's in this book. And so in God's book, in His Holy Word, we learn from what is His express will. In other words, what is ex- said, just very straightforward to us with that. And we also, in God's Word, get to behold His nature. that will teach you something about it. I have different authors I've enjoyed reading down over the years, and certain authors have different styles about them, and you feel like you know that person a little bit because of their style or approach to certain things, and uh, and so much more in the Word of God. Not only have you got God expressly telling us what He wants and, and what He is, but you also pick up His nature, as you have recorded in the Bible, how God has acted and interacted with his people with societies and all this so you start picking up the feel for this this matches what God does and that doesn't match what God does and this this matches you know his direction of things with it and so it's important to understand that that you start picking that up from his word then what godliness is we decide and that's what it is it's a decision we decide to live consistently with what we know about God through his word that's what godliness is We decide to live consistently with what we know about God, what is expressly revealed about Him, and what we learn about Him by how He acts and interacts. And then we decide, I decide, you decide. Day by day, I'm going to live in a way that's consistent with what I see the nature of God is, as revealed in His Word. Not what I think God is. I run into that all the time as I'm witnessing to people. uh, I'll be talking to them, well, I just think God's this. And every now and then I'll ask, based on what? Well, I just think He is. Well, I just think, based on what? What's that based on? Is it just something you came up with, or what? Well, every now and then you'll catch somebody that's sharp intellectually enough that, and they'll say, Well, what's yours based on? I'm glad you asked me. Mine's based on the Bible. And they may or may not say, Well, I don't really believe the Bible. I understand you may not. You ask me what well, mine's based on. I'm going to give you the Bible. That's what I'm here to do. And I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And I believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So I never debate with somebody whether the Bible is what it says it is or not. I just use it. <laughs> uh, I used to love the illustration was given and said, if you broke in my house at night and I, I hold up a gun and you say, stop. And you say, I don't believe in that gun. I don't have to explain my gun to you. I just shoot you with it. And so, you know, with the, with the gospel, I don't have to explain the power of it. I'll just give it to you. It'll do the work. That's it. But I I believe, based on the Bible, I'm looking to understand. I would assume, since we are in a Bible-believing Baptist church this morning, you've chosen to be in a Bible-believing Baptist church this morning, and you're here, most everybody in this room attends here regularly, I would assume that you have said, okay, I believe the Bible here gives me the direction in life. It gives me directions in life. I would hope that your heart's in such a way that you say that this book's above me. It doesn't submit to me, but I submit to it. And I hope that you're at that point. Certainly, uh, you would have to be to be an obedient Christian. And so, uh, whatever state you're in, I hope you look at this and say, okay, all right, so what is being godly? Being godly is not we put on airs or try to be more religious than somebody. It's I learn from God's book about my God. And then I try to live in a way that's consistent with the way my God is. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, that's a full time job. (laughs) Because it's something we, we are continually growing in and learning to do in all situations. By the time you think you got nailed down one area, a little different situation comes up and you get to learn more lessons again. Which is actually kind of exciting. Being godly is being godlike. What I mean by that is you don't become gods, but you become godlike. In other words, you're in agreement with what God has revealed about himself in the world. In the word. Okay, for instance. Uh, God forbid that this would happen but uh, it has and, and it's unfortunate horrible actually when it does happen let's say there's someone who's a, a church attending person and they have children when they go home when they become angry they curse and swear at those children say a preacher that would never happen you're obviously not a pastor um, that person is in no way being godly in that in that instance. Whatever else they may be doing in that instance, when they do that, what they are doing is the antithesis or the opposite of what we know about God. Look up at me, hey girls, stay awake. sit up, look up at me. It's not sleepy die I I get jealous if you get to sleep. I gotta stay awake, guy. Right? So they it that's opposite. And what's really horrible about that, especially if it's a father who's supposed to represent. Uh, uh, God in the house and that is, is uh, the distortion and damage that can cause in young people's hearts and minds because they're getting this signal you know this person's at church are doing this or that they claim to be a Christian person they claim to believe the Bible they talk about the Bible and then they turn around and out of the same mouth as it says in the book of James comes blessings and cursing these things my brethren ought not so to be does the fountain send forth at the same place fresh water and, and salt? no it doesn't And so this is what I'm talking about. Godly living is living in a way that matches what we say that our God teaches us. I like a quotation, if I can get it right here, that Brother Jenkins said once in my hearing. He said, I don't want anybody to refuse my doctrine because of my poor living of my doctrine." That's a good statement, it really is. I, I said, man, that's, that's something to learn from. Why? Because if we're going to be God's people, think about that. We say, okay, I'm God's people. If I were to ask the question, as I have in this, in this room, and I were to ask the question, say, how many of you, you're not ashamed that Jesus is your Savior? Most all of you would raise your hand, and you're serious about it. It's not, it's not that you don't mean it. You're serious about it. That's supposed to mean something. That means that as our Savior, what does it mean to accept Jesus? You're not just accepting the premise that He exists. It's not just that you're accepting the historical facts of His death, burial, and resurrection. You're accepting Him. And by that, you're accepting the fact that uh, living is supposed to be affected by Him. And so what is godly people? God's people are supposed to be godly people. And you know, it's really sad whenever... God's people in a misguided way and maybe even sometimes born from trying to do things the right way but getting kind of off track on it, when they reduce godliness just to a set of particular rules because it cheapens it. Even if the particular rules match what the Scripture says, even if what they're doing is Bible-based and okay, here's why the Bible says to do it, if that's the essence of it, then we miss what it's really about. What it's really about is We want to be like our Heavenly Father. There's a lot of things about Him we want to be like. And uh, that's what godliness really comes down to. That's why godliness doesn't produce pride in a person. Religion does in a heartbeat. But godliness doesn't. Because godliness is wanting to be like God, and what we see about God's nature would not lead us to a prideful and hurtful and damaging position with that, as you said. Um, give you some thoughts here on this. Uh, with it, uh, first thought I had is you can tell if you're being what you're being taught from the Bible. If you're being taught the Bible properly, let's put it that way. Wherever you it may end up in life, whatever you may hear, whatever you may listen to, you know. Uh, I know just number. It's not a huge number by any means in podcast land. I know yesterday I was checking some things to see some things. I know twenty eight. People had listened to one of the podcasts yesterday. I know that. And Earlier in the week, 106 did on one day. And, and you have different people listening. People are hearing different things going on. Uh, those, some of those people may not know who I am. They may have gotten a blessed So I don't know who all they are. I don't know where they are. There's 19 different countries that tuned in at one time or another. I don't know who they are and all that. Maybe for some of those people, I'm an unknown entity to, to them. Some of the people who look at the YouTube channel, maybe that's the case with it. And they go and they're hearing I'm teaching something. Well... I don't have history with them like I do you. I don't have the proving of the ministry with them like I do with you, perhaps. But then how can they or anybody else who's listening to something being taught from the Bible, how do we know what is, what is a basic guide to know if what we're being taught? I think we'd all agree there's a lot of stuff out there, just a bunch, and wide, wide, wide bunch of stuff. Everything from some good stuff out there to some stuff that's downright poisonous. And some of it, and the most dangerous, has just enough truth in it that it's hard to discern what's off. But it's as poisonous as it can be. And so what do we look for? You can tell right away. And, and by the way, to me, this is a guide I look for. If I'm at a conference or I'm listening to somebody preach or whatever, you can tell if you're being taught the Bible properly by whether or not the doctrine or the teaching gives you an example, warnings, and instruction on being godly. All... True Bible doctrine points towards godliness. It never points towards sensuality. It never points you towards license of the flesh. Just do whatever you want, party down. It's okay, we're safe. It never points you towards pride. It never points you towards a failing of doing those things which match what God has said and who He is. And so, does the doctrine promote godliness? Does it promote holy living? Does it promote humility? Does it promote strength and, 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 and love and, and, and following and, and, and doing what we ought to do? Does it promote uh, uh, obedience to the Lord? When it does these things, then you know you're dealing with teaching at least that part of it. You know that you've got something good there. Uh, true doctrine, which is teaching. doctrine's what we're taught so that we know what to do. Doctrine, D-O. It starts with D-O. Doctrine's what we're taught so we know what to do. It's an easy way to remember. We're taught doctrine. We're taught what, who God is. We're taught about God. His Bible teaches us because of that what we're supposed to do. Everything in the Bible about our behavior stems from who God is. My behavior towards other people stems from the fact they're made in the image of God. My, my approach to my finances stems from who God is. Everything that we do comes from having a right view, a biblical view of who God is. And with a doctrine which is according to godliness. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll show you this. I told you we'll be in the New Testament mostly this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm excited to have a Bible. I really am. I hope you are also. And I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm glad to have a Bible and be able to open it and learn it. I'm glad y'all you bring your Bibles to the church and open them. It's a good thing. First Timothy chapter six. Here you have instruction between servants and masters, and you understand. Very common in this day and time, in which this was written, were people who would be indentured. That didn't mean they had false teeth. That means that they had, come on, laugh at my dumb jokes, that's all I've got, right? It, 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 what it means is it has a, uh, that they had contracted themselves as a servant to somebody for a certain number of years. In, in return for that, they would be taught a trade, they would have a place to live and some food and that sort of thing. This was a common thing. And so think about that kind of concept here when we're reading these few verses. I want you to see something. Look in verse 1. It says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke. That's the idea they're, they're in that situation. You, you contracted in for three years, and you try to go somewhere else after two years, you could be thrown in prison because you'd broken that contract. And, uh, and so you understand this. So they're under the yoke. Count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. So you had people who were servants in the societies, who were getting saved. Now they're getting instruction on as servants, how are they supposed to behave so that God's name isn't brought into ill repute or isn't blasphemed and isn't talked about badly because of how they're acting as servants. In other words, they're not to get cocky and arrogant. Well, I, I'm a believer in Christ now, and you can't tell me what to do. Jesus set me free. Said so that's not the spirit of the thing. And uh, so he's talking about that, verse 2. And they that have believing masters, he said, now some of you, your masters are believers. You've, they've accepted Christ. Let them not despise them because they are brethren. In other words, your relationship in Christ should go beyond the bonds of the contract and, and working and all that. But rather, look at these three words. Do them service. i want to preach an entire message on that sometime. I wrote a note to myself on that. Do them service. Not just show up for work, but do them service. May God teach us to do that. Not just show up, but do them service. Do it as unto the Lord. Because we are. (laughs) Why should I work as unto the Lord? Because you are. Because He watches it. And uh, (laughs) you know the Bible says, Promotion cometh not from the north or the south, the east or the west... But it cometh, does anybody know from where? Psalm 7. Comes, comes from God. That's what promotion, not, not the thing, but where does it come from? Promotion cometh from God. Don't you think that talks about all types of promotion? Why don't you work as unto the Lord? You'd be amazed what might happen in your life. And so he says, rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So this, this uh, instruction is given to Timothy that he's supposed to teach He's supposed to lay it out like I have just done with you to the church. Here's what this means. And then he's to exhort. He's to come back around and say, now you've learned the basic. Get at it. Hey, now you know what to do. Do it. You know, part of preaching is just teaching you. And here's what God said. And then the other part of it is, hey, start doing something with it. What are you all doing out there? And so you have the teaching and then you have the exhortation. So what's the difference? Usually about a $15 dry cleaning bill because <laughs> exhortation is a lot of energy. But you you get going, man. Get after it. They exhort you. Now you've learned it. Go. Now do something with it. Don't just learn it and sit there and get after it. And so we're supposed to do that. Verse 3. If any man teach otherwise. So he comes along, and in this particular area, he's teaching something different. And consent not. Does not give... Uh, himself willingly to wholesome words. You know what something wholesome is? It's full, it's healthy, it's complete. To wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. You see I was making much of that earlier about doctrine, godliness That's because it's biblical. It's not an idea I came up with. It's here. This is, this is what we're supposed to do. It if any man doesn't yielded do that and doesn't go along with that. Look at what it says in verse 4. He is proud. Well, yeah, that's why he's getting his information for somewhere besides the Word of God. That's why he's coming up with things that are in the Word of God. He's not submitted to this book. He's trying to make this book submit to him. He is proud, knowing nothing. Now, it's interesting. It's interesting. I got to thinking on that little phrase and really learned something with it because I started checking around. As you probably know, and if not, you'll be informed now, the word "know" shows up meaning a lot of different things in the Bible. You have you have the term "know" that deals with a very strong, very intimate knowledge of something. You have the word "know," which is just to have awareness of it. You have the word "know," which means experience with something with it. But here's the thing: it says this man, if he doesn't consent to wholesome words, he is he is proud knowing nothing. Women knowing nothing. I mean, he doesn't know anything at all. He doesn't know east, west, north, south. He doesn't know red, white, blue. He doesn't know. It can't mean that. It's not what he's talking about. doesn't mean he knows absolutely nothing at all about the Scripture. doesn't. Sorry if he would take it that way, but it doesn't. What does it mean? Well, look at the context. It will show you. He is proud knowing nothing but... Doting about. Now, do you know what doting is? You ever seen heard somebody? It's an older term. They said they would dote upon their child. What is it? Oh, that just that's their whole world is just that child. Which, by the way, is a bad mistake for the child and the whole world. <laughs> um, it, it, it's uh, well, just that kid you know It's their, that's their little everything else revolves around it oh God help us one, hundred, one way to wreck a kid that's about 100 a a hundred of them by itself and so the doting one the coddling Oh, they can never do wrong well their kids would never lie yes they will read Romans uh, now their kids would never do wrong yes they will read Romans if you're a Bible believer read Romans look at your kids and get smart um, and so this thing about and so you have the doting parent oh just you know Totally fascinated with it. That's all there is. Wait a minute. Watch. Look, that's the Word. And, and look what it says about Him. It says, He send not to wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 4, He is proud, knowing nothing but doting. What does He spend His time on? What's the next thing? Doting about what? Questions. Questions. The entire ministry is just questions. I told you there's a brother and it's uh, interesting because this was a weakness in him. Man's a good soul winner. New years and years ago. I've talked to him for a very, very long time. But every time I would see him on any occasion, this was exactly what I'd do. He'd, he'd always rub his chin. I don't know why that was always it, but it goes with it. He'd say, you know, brother, it's exactly. You know, we just need to reevaluate. Always. Every conversation. You know, brother, we just need to reevaluate. And I'm like, when are you going to quit reevaluating and just go? When does it ever become, I know whom I have believed? And it's not arrogance, it's just saying some things are settled. It's not always up in the air. It's a bad sign. It's a sign of, it's actually, it matches the unsaved or unregenerate mind that becomes prideful. It says they are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The popular thing becoming now is, well, it's just science, not truth. Well, actually they're telling the truth about what they don't know. And they they're never, people are saying, that's funny, I've heard the statement now, they'll never realize how exactly they are following Scripture by doing that. Because they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And... <laughs> Because ultimately, truth is revealed. You know, it was Pontius Pilate who said, what is truth? He's not exactly a character you want to follow in the Bible. So what's this got to do with them? knowing nothing? And what's this got to do with godly people? Well, the two are attached very strongly. Notice it says, he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Whereof cometh so what happens when you do this? Envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Do you know what a surmising is? You surmise something. It's it, you, you reach a decision based, you don't have facts. It's like, oh, I think this is this way. You could use the word surmise. I surmise from what you say, you will do this. Oh, I surmise, you are putting it together and coming up with a conclusion. Just, it's almost guesswork. And these are evil surmisings. You're you're attributing evil. You're going to an evil place with the thing with someone. Suppose it says these evil surmisings. Then look what it says with it. Um, uh, Evil surmisings. 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. It's just barren. Supposing that gain is godliness. They think that's it. They think if wealth's there or so-called success is there, then it has to be godliness. That's where the health and wealth preaching comes in. That's where the thing says, well, if you're really right with God, you're going to have this, this, and this. And if you don't have that, then you should have that. You're not living in the fullness of God. Obviously, there's hidden sin or lack of faith or something. Or you would have all of this stuff, and that is as perverse a teaching as possible you can get. In fact, so perverse that the Scripture actually says, when you see that from such, we're to withdraw ourselves, Which means you don't listen to it. you get away from it.'" Why? Because it's very corruptive teaching with that. So what is the thing about him knowing nothing? He's doting about questions, strives of words. He never knows anything. He never comes down to a point of saying, this is solid. The doctrine that is according to godliness will always move you to solid belief. It will lead you to saying, look, this is God's Word, and while you don't know everything, and while there are things, if you're honest as you study the Bible, you're going to have to say, I'm not sure about that. Or I think this is what it does. There are things like that throughout, absolutely. But I'm going to tell you of a certainty: there are things that are just sure. I Had a friend of mine from high school days was—I didn't know it—he was. He called me, set to trip me up and disprove where I was at as far as believing the Bible and that sort of thing. That was the purpose of his call. Uh, the fellow's a lawyer now, and he was, I guess, he, he was learning different things about how to attack the witness or whatever. And uh, he actually wasn't called. It was a visit of me, and he was, he was at the little house we had when we were in college. It was so funny. I still remember. And he said, uh, he said to me, he looked at me, and he goes, Are you willing to tell me you never have any doubt about that Bible? Did you never have any doubt about God? I looked at him. I said, of course I have doubt. And he just stopped. He looked at me. He goes, rats. I said, what? He goes, I did that to my brother and sister. And then both said, no, I don't have any doubts. He said, that I could tear him up. He said, you were in the whole thing. I, said, I called his name. I said, hey, you ding-dong? Well, how would I, with my limited knowledge, my limited perception of things in this body and in this mind, how would I not have doubts sometimes in the God I cannot physically see and touch? And how would I not ever have doubts that come across? And by the way, I find nothing in the Bible that tells me that I am not allowed to have any doubts. And I do find examples of all the people that God greatly used in the Bible, or most all of them, at some time or another, having great doubts in their life. But they chose to keep following the Lord. And the faith is greater than the doubt. So when I'm talking about knowing, there are just some things. You know, Jesus Christ is either the Son of God or He was a liar. You don't have much choice in that one because it's declaratively stated. There's some things you just know. I know whom I've believed. And so what is this thing about godliness? Godliness, God's people are to be godly. We are to be anchored in something that is substantial, real, and consistent with the Word of God. And it is both exciting and it is a constant challenge to learn about it. Because as we learn about it and as we start growing in this way, we find out that it it requires some thought. It isn't just, oh, okay, here's the list of things I do, so now I'm a good Christian. It actually deals with the heart and it actually deals with us wanting to know our God. And by the way, this kind, this biblical godliness leads us to a place that is more pure, more right, more holy, and more clean than all the other stuff could ever do. Because it's real. Because it comes from a heart that wants to please God. And our God is a holy and righteous God. It, it makes for strength. It's funny. Um, I was listening to a brother, I'm not going to mention the name, it doesn't matter. It, it, good fellow, good solid Bible uh, fella. But he, he'd been criticized in my hearing and, and I, I turned the conversation a different way, but he'd been criticized in my hearing through some people I knew in the ministry and such because he said, Well, he doesn't really preach. What they meant was he doesn't do what I just did. He doesn't holler, he doesn't yeah, he doesn't do that sort of thing. And I, I knew that wasn't so. And I, I got to listen to just a few minutes of him preaching this last week. And I heard and his mannerism is never like this probably most of you would not really like his mannerism it's just so different you say why because if you put up with me you probably it just just it's a different personality but he was it was such good stuff and he was just making such a strong declarative stand on the things that had to do with our society what's going on in the perversions of our society and things. And when they wild that stuff, man, he was making strong. He was naming sin. He was telling about what we have been. And he was giving it biblically, but he was doing it in a very straightforward methodical way. So some people oh, that's not real preaching. I'm sorry, that felt that strong. Why? Because it's based on there. Now, I'm more the holler and die. But godliness is more than just a show. God's people... That's me. I, I believe I'm one of God's people because of Christ. I hope that's you this morning. We are to be godly. It's supposed to mean something. What does it mean we're God's people? That means there's a distinction. There's something there. In fact, the biblical word for it is that we're peculiar people. Not weirdos, I hope. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but peculiar. Different than, than the surroundings around us. Godliness is a very great value. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Godliness is of great great value. Second Corinthians chapter 1. It's interesting to me. I was looking at the numbers on the podcast, the most recent publication that's had more people at least tune into it than any other by far has been the message on how to stay right when things are wrong. And I for a little Little you know thing in there to explain what it was about. And that tells me sometimes where people, especially people who would be listening to a preaching type podcast, a mainly preaching type podcast. It kind of tells me where the hearts are and where, where some of God's people's hearts are. How do, how do I stay right? How do I keep doing right even when things are messed up? And how do I stand right? To me, uh, that's encouraging because when people have that kind of appetite, they want to know how to do the right thing when things seem like they're really weird or weird things going on. Th- then that encourages me because all, all of us who are Bible preachers and teachers and such, uh, we've got to just keep getting the word of God out and God's people will gravitate towards it and they're helped by it. And and it's just to me, it's just an, it's revealing. It's a it's a neat thing. Um, it, it makes me want to want to be even even more consistent in what I do with the scripture. Second Corinthians chapter one. Did I tell you that? All right, I'll go there myself. Second Corinthians chapter one. Look in uh, verse twelve and look at the value of this. It says, "For our rejoicing is this." Why was he happy about? What was the apostle excited about? The testimony of our conscience that in simplicity, look at it, and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation. Good Bible word takes in your whole manner of living. We have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, Lord. He said, you know what makes us happy? Knowing that we have a simplicity in our, our testimony Of godliness. He said that makes us happy. Why? Because we know then we're trying to obey what is revealed to us about our God from the Bible. Godliness is of such value, by the way, that when he sought to convey to us by way of warning how perverse things could become, he wrote down that the ungodly people by their ungodly speeches... That they would ungodly do. I have a note by that, and that's the most ungodly verse in the Bible. Is that in Jude? I think. Look in Jude. It's only one chapter. And looking for the verse because I don't—I didn't give it to you as clearly as I would like to memorize with that. Fifteen. 15 thank you, sir. You have the official job of, of uh, concordance, auxiliary concordance, while you're there. Right? That's good. Darren used to do that for me. Verse 15. Let's begin in verse, let's begin verse 14. There's warnings about false teachers and about judgment that's coming. Look in verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints. Verse 15. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among men... Of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. So you see ungodly is being attached to the fact of the deed and also the motive and the action behind it. It's used in both forms. And of all their hard speeches, which ungodly spinners, spinners? <laughs> Those are the people at the roulette, amen, ungodly spinners. Um, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so they've spoken against God and it says that God comes to judge and look how much of that's used. That's why I put the the note out there, the most ungodly verse in the Bible, that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. Not only the deeds were ungodly, but their motive and the way they did it was ungodly. And all of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So when God wants to point out how valuable godliness is. And when he wants to show how important it is for what he accepts, he does part of it by contrast, showing that those who are going to receive judgment, he says in that same verse, ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. Their manner, what they do, everything's against God. There's a perversion to it. And of course, he said, you've got hard speeches. You're hard with what you say and speaking against God. May God help us never to be a part of that at all. Godliness is something to be desired. It's very valuable to the Lord. Let me just show you a couple of references on that. 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's extremely valuable. I'm talking about God's people people who say they believe in the living God. More specifically, those who say that Christ is indeed their Savior, their Lord. We are to be a godly people. It means something in our day-by-day living. And by the way, there's no geographical or organizational boundary that's to keep godliness out. In other words, a godly person is to be godly wherever they are and whatever they're doing. And it's also, sadly true, that there's no geographical or or group-type boundary that keeps ungodliness out, right? In the midst of a church like ours there can be profound ungodliness sometimes in the name of religion while someone hurts and damages someone because of their so called righteous stand that's a perverse form of ungodliness First Timothy chapter 2 look at verse 1 I exhort therefore remember teach and exhort I exhort therefore that first of all Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this, living a peaceable, quiet life in godliness and honesty, is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire and desire. And a quiet and peaceable life and godliness promotes the propagation or the sending out of the gospel. You get a war-torn country, the gospel can go into it, but there are hindrances because of that. The more chaotic a place is, the more, more difficulties you have in people hearing the gospel and then being able to hear and be able to receive things with that. Look in Titus. Just go over there. Just 1st, 2nd Timothy. And then there Titus. Titus chapter 2. Talking about godliness is to be desired. If someone were to ask you today, honestly, and just in private conversation, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Is He your Savior? And you answered and you were able to answer him. Yes, I am. And you're glad about that if a further searching question was asked is it important in your life for you to be godly if you were soberly and reflectively to look at that what would your answer be and if it would be less than what you know that the bible would show that it's supposed to be what are you going to do today what thing in your heart what thing in your actions what thing towards others today could you take in hand to begin to be more like what you understand your Heavenly Father to be? Not whimsically set back, so oh, I'd like to be better. Forget that kind of living. Instead, what are you going to do today? What are we going to do to actually put into practice the faith that we say we hold? This is, this is what we should consider. Titus chapter 2. Let's look in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. So what does the classroom of grace teach us? Teaching us. That denying ungodliness. So that's an active decision. And worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Where? According to the Bible. Talk to me. In this present world. How do we do it? Looking for. In other words, there's a uh, hopeful expectation. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good Works. Then the command to Titus as a preacher, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. But no man despises them. You're supposed to declaratively state this because this is what God says. This is what our God says. I finished today with Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 25, see then, or see that rather, ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing. Of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. That's been very helpful to me in my life. I realize sometimes God's doing some shaking and some things are going to be removed. Some things are going to be different. Some things are going to be changed, but He's getting down to what's solid. That's why we go through that. Verse 28 Wherefore, we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. Whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. For our God, ready for this, is a consuming fire. That amazing. Hmm. What is this then? God's people are to be godly people. We take that title that we're God's people. Because of Jesus Christ and His righteousness—that He took our place, that He rose with power from the dead—that's where our faith is. But if we say we're God's people, that's supposed to mean something. We're supposed to have a family resemblance to the Father. I've been in places where they've seen Mayor than seen Logan. It's not as much appearance-wise with Luke. We tend to say the same things. It's kind of funny, um, but it's. Uh, Logan, very much. He looks, if you look at a picture of me when I was his age and you look at a picture of him, it's almost identical. I mean, it's, it's kind of scary or should be for him. Um, and people will say this they'll say, You could never deny he's your son. He'd never been able to deny he's your father. And they're, they're talking about a physical resemblance that one of my children has very much to me. May it be so that in our, our heart, our conduct and our caring may people be able to say they'll never be able to deny who's your father may may it be apparent that our father is the heavenly father and um, um, may we desire godliness to actually be like our God let me pray with you this morning Father thank you for your words thank you for the clarity of them thank you for the power of them thank you for your holiness Thank You that we get to be partakers because of the new birth. I pray You'll do the lasting, lasting work in us through Your words today, please. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Give You time and invitation where You can consider what You've been taught. Respond to Your God. If Christ is not Your Savior tonight, or this morning rather, is exactly the right time, receiving. Song invitation, you come if you need to.